Melissa, and my pronouns are she, her. And my name is Maria. My pronouns are also she and her. And welcome to LGBT Cliff Notes. Today, we are fulfilling a listener request to talk about brain differences between genders. Um, today, or yeah, when I started researching, which was not today, it was, you know, several days ago. Um, <laughs> it was really fun for me to research. Uh, here's a secret that is now on the internet, so it's no longer a secret. Um, I believed in innate gendered brain differences through my early 20s. I know we all have embarrassing shit that we used to believe, but like, I think of myself as a very smart person Mm -hmm. and I somehow still thought that, I don't know, boys were just better at science and math. Um, And I don't know where I got it from. I just internalized it, thought that somehow my brain just wasn't as good at certain subjects. <laughs> and to be clear, this didn't stop me from taking science and math classes, uh, obviously. Uh, and the whole time I just believed I was having a harder time than the boys because my brain was wired differently. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I <laughs> that was a dumb thing that I thought. And uh, we're going to talk a bunch about how if you still think that for whatever reason, you shouldn't. Um, brains are not that different, whatever gender you are, and girls can do math. Everyone can do math. Well. Uh, no, don't. Everyone can do math. Everyone has the potential to do math. I guess that's true. Yes. I can't. Yes, you could. You could do math. I could, but I won't. (laughs) Okay. Um, so yeah, I don't, I, just like I... Don't really know how I started thinking that. I also don't really know when I realized that was a bunch of nonsense. And uh, as we're about to learn, of course, there are differences between brains. But spoiler alert, there is no evidence that any gender is inherently better at math from the second that they're born. (gasps) Yeah, it's true. It's true. Yeah. So uh, I believe I talked about this book before, probably in Hormones. Uh, For this episode, I read a bunch of articles. Uh, I also reread a chapter from Sexing the Body by Anne Fausto Sterling. Mm. Like I said, I'm pretty sure I talked about it, but that's a great book. So one of the things she points out in that chapter is that differences between brains, between genders, need to be both visible and meaningful, which I thought was a really important point to make right at the beginning. So it doesn't matter if some brain piece is a different shape or size in different genders, if there doesn't seem to be any meaningful change in a person's behavior, right? Right. So just because, and, and people love to do these stories around this that are ridiculous. They're like, oh, this person's prefrontal cortex must be huge. They're so smart. And I'm just like, or... They just have, like, maybe their brain is more hydrated or they have, like, more blood vessels in there. It doesn't necessarily correlate to anything. So (laughs) to that first issue of are there actual visible differences between brains in healthy women versus healthy men? And, of course, that that is true. Um, It is certainly true that if you measure brain activity... In women versus men, you might see differences. Mm -hmm. 
And if you don't get what I'm talking about, here's an example. Uh, in an experiment designed to test compassion, volunteers were placed in an MRI and shown pictures of human suffering. <laughs> it's a fun experiment. Mm-hmm. Uh, an MRI is a very rough way to show which areas of the brain are active at a certain time. Um, the researchers did find that distinctly different areas were active in men versus women when they were experiencing compassion. This didn't surprise me at all. Uh, this says very little about brain structure. Uh, instead, it, it speaks to differences in how men and women are socialized. The way your neurons link up is a continual process based on experience, more nature that uh, more nurture than nature to use the common phrase. Mm. So yes, I, when we, when we talk about brain activity, you're going to see gender differences between all kinds of people with all kinds of different experiences. But what about the physical brain itself, the parts that we can dissect and put under a microscope and measure? And I think this is where and maybe uh, from from the requester, this is where they started thinking about this. There was a time in the 90s, and it probably pops up here and then even now, that there were a bunch of articles and attention and headlines about uh-huh. gender differences in a part of the brain called the corpus callosum, which uh-huh. is a bundle of nerve fibers connecting the left and right brain hemispheres. Did, did you hear this? Was that that ah, you, you know this? Yes. Yeah. No, no, it's just, it's just I, uh, yeah, go ahead. It was something that you had heard about? Oh, yes. Um, so I, I, I spent a little time at a museum that had this wonderful device called the Anatomage oh, that yeah. let you do a dissection on a virtual cadaver. Like, an, it was an actual, like, human speci- specimen that had been digitally rendered and stuff. So you could do autopsies and dissections and stuff like that on it. It was really cool, and I miss it so much. <laughs> So yeah, and just, sorry, all those memories came flooding back. I, feel- I see. And so you're yeah. like, Corpus Callosum, I've yeah. digitally dissected that. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, another spoiler alert. Uh, there aren't any differences between Corpus Callosums. Um, but shit like this comes up all the time. So I'm mm. going to take this specific example and talk about it. And next time you see some nonsense about innate biological differences between the brains of men and women, you'll know something like this is, is probably going on. So look more into it if you want to make sure, but don't just believe it from the get-go. So the full argument around the whole corpus callosum thing is beautifully laid out in a chapter of Sexing the Body by Anne Fausto Sterling. So I'm just going to summarize the the key points here. Basically, the <laughs> it comes down to the brain is hard to measure, and journalists attach way too much extra baggage to scientific results. This is true across the board. Yeah. Every week it's like, cure for cancer, and I look into it and they're like, oh, in mice, uh, <laughs> this, you know, we, we found something that might help not a cure for cancer. So for as long as humans have thought the brain to be the center of reasoning, people have been trying to find brain differences that explain racial and gender inequalities. This is just a continual story we're telling ourselves. So the first study on the size and shape of the corpus callosum was in 1906, where a guy in a Johns Hopkins University lab measured brains, hoping to show 
there is a biological difference between African Americans and Caucasians that proves Caucasians are objectively biologically superior. I mean, I'm also, again, not surprised that some fucking dude in 1906 was doing this. There's fucking dudes trying to do this in 2020, so. Yeah. Uh, Of course, he convinced himself that he found differences, which, oh my God, I looked at his original article and he attributed it to all kinds of personality traits that were just like, so unscientific and nonsensical he would label just the brain is so complex Mm -hmm. and he would take these really complex parts of the brain as centers of objectivity or artistry or self-control which they are not they they do many things uh and then he spun up a story to fit his beliefs uh, much like the media does around brain and gender now it's like less acceptable thank christ for us to try to put in in the big news that there's racial differences, but no, we're we're still really interested in how women have social brains and men are just meant to do math. So (laughs) that's, yeah. Uh, Even back then, people were disputing this guy's conclusions. His methods were fucking awful. Uh, And and even then, uh, using the same data, there was another scientist that did slightly better methods. So he removed the labels, which is an obvious thing to do, um, of, of all these pictures and drawings that the other guy had made. And the smart, way more scientific guy could not reliably assign the brains to African-American or Caucasian male or female. The <gasps> brains are just too similar. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Big reveal. <laughs> Who would have thought? <laughs> so, uh, I I just... Don't also, oh, I want to quickly point out that there's this whole like, oh, your right brain does this and your left brain does this. Again, way too simplified. That's Mm. not, you can't, your brain does so many things and there's like so many redundancies that, uh, yeah, there are certain areas, there's, you know, Braca's region that that does language stuff. But like, on Mm. the whole, if you damage a part of the brain, usually it works its way around. Like, biology is really good and has a million redundancies built in. So usually we don't just have one thing that's responsible for one thing. Yeah. So... That that would be, like, bad design. Yes. Well, I mean, (laughs) yeah, because it's it's not design. Um, Okay, (laughs) so, yeah. Uh, Right for the throat, I I can appreciate that. Very good. Thank you. Um, so what about nowadays? I wanted to know if people were still freaking out about this corpus callosum stuff. So even now, we're still very bad at making accurate measurements of parts of the brain. Um, referring back again to Fausto Sterling, she looked at 33 papers written over 15 years, and there is just no agreement over whether gender affects corpus callosum size. The few studies that have been done on infant corpus callosums show no difference. So even if studies agreed on a difference in men and women, it would just be due to environment and socialization. There's no innate uh, women grow larger corpus callosums because it connects the parts of their brain better and then they have more intuition and they're just inherently better at being nice to people. So of course women are nice to people. That's how it works, right? 
And men don't have to be nice to people because it's just inherent, you know? That's just how it works. Uh, gender. Yeah. <laughs> I have so much skepticism around this. And yeah. I, I, yeah. Uh, I, I, as you should, because, I mean, the Christ. Yeah, I think, and most people have probably at some point in their lives uh, heard this, and I hope it's not due to someone saying it directly to you, but there's just this idea around oh so so many things having to do with gender um mm. that biology is doing this or that or whatever um and i can't address all of that today but we're gonna address the brain part of it so uh yeah over over time the actual physical structure of your brain changes that's i i buy into that um mm -hmm. but i don't think that we can say a part being larger or smaller is inherent to your gender. I, I think that all of those changes are like 90% environment, uh, by which I, you know, mean in the case of gender being raised as a boy or a girl or further being raised as one gender when you're actually another. So mm. a lot of, even if there was very conclusive evidence, you know, they dissected a whole bunch of brains from dead people and went, oh yeah, no, we finally can accurately measure this based on whatever, I'd be like, okay, so that's a visible difference, but does it actually do anything? Um, yeah, there, there are tons of studies on differences between men and women once they're adults, which says basically nothing about inherent biological effects. That's, mm. uh, yeah, it's just the environment you were you live in the environment you were raised in. Right. But big, big thing. Oh. Uh, I did, I mean, I didn't, so you got to try to look at things that disprove your theory, right? So mm. I, I now believe deeply in my heart <laughs> that there aren't really inherent differences. But. But. I did find one study that I was very impressed by. The test subjects were teeny babies that had been born about one day before testing. So mm. it's basically impossible for them to have experienced gendering aside from what parents did while they were in the womb. But I don't think that there's enough consistency that we can say, oh, boys in the womb are treated this way. I think it's mostly afterbirth. Right. So I'm not going to detail the methods, but I read them super thoroughly. And because <laughs> I disagreed with the study, um, it is it is my opinion that they did everything right regarding controls and consistency. I was I was really impressed. It was a very simple study, uh, but they it, it was designed really well. So what they did is they took these teeny newborns, day old teeny babies, they laid them on their backs and showed them two things at the same time. There was a woman's face from an actual human standing next to them. And a mobile that was matched for color, size, shape, contrast, etc. It was basically a mobile constructed out of pieces of the woman's face. They had a picture of it. It was pretty creepy, actually. Mm -hmm. And what they found, showing teeny babies with really no gendering ideas, was that there is a statistically significant difference between newborn girls looking more at the woman's face and newborn boys looking at the mobile. Hmm. So statistics are good if you're using the right one. And I agree that 
there was a statistically significant difference. <laughs> but I also want to point out the actual seconds the babies looked at each object to give you an idea of how close it was. So mm. the male newborns looked at the face 45.6% of the time, and the females looked at the face 49.4% of the time. Okay. So, yes, they did. I, I agree that there is significance. I agree that they had amazing methods, whatever. But it's not like we're going to have a new fucking gender reveal party based on whether your newborn looks at a face more or a mobile more. <laughs> I mean... If you take an average newborn, they're looking at both of them pretty equally. To be fair, it might be more accurate. <clears throat> and it definitely <laughs> it caused be... a lot fewer fires. That would be so interesting because it, it's such a a quick study... If we just like went to a hospital and every baby that was born, we ran this quick test on them and then went back and revisited them like 30 years later and, mm. and see if we can predict what their actual gender wound up being versus what they were assigned at birth. That someone pay me to do that. <laughs> yes. Okay. So this does bring up an interesting point, mm. even though the differences were it was it was very close. Uh, it looks like there might be, might be some difference from birth in cis girls showing interest in humans and cis boys showing interest in non-human mechanical motion before they even get a chance to experience the concept of gender. And I, I did not expect to find anything that was this well designed and, and said that. I'm, like I said, I think that there are visible brain differences but i'm surprised that in in measuring something like this they there there was a result of course i'd want to see it mm. replicated across many hospitals whatever especially because the timings were that close but unfortunately because mm. of pesky ethics uh we can't just run like an actual experiment where a woman has a baby who is assigned male at birth and then we somehow get everyone that the child ever meets to treat the baby assigned as a boy at birth as a girl. And then we'd, of course, have to repeat that for hundreds of babies, take some measurements, and figure out how environment versus biology contributes to gender identity and gendered brain differences. That's not going to happen. This is going to be very relevant in the next episode. Oh, is it? Oh, oh my yes. goodness. Very Good. much glad, so. I'm glad that we paired them. So there is a disorder that allows this to study this kind of thing in an eth ethical way. So the disorder is called congenital adrenal hyperplasia, and it exposes a fetus to atypically high levels of testosterone while in the womb. So the thinking here is that otherwise cis girls, who will be raised as girls have experienced biological effects of testosterone while in the womb, which the paper calls, quote-unquote, masculinizing their brains. Um, and I'm going to use that a few times because it the, the language gets very... Uh, it, it gets too complex if I try to say it in another way. So mm. masculinized brains are just brains that have testosterone when they're developing. That's what that means. So the being able to study cis girls with this disorder somewhat controls for the environment since these babies are raised as girls. 
but they're biologically more masculinized than other cis girls from this testosterone. So it's sort of like taking a brain from a boy baby that was born assigned to be a boy because the right levels of testosterone and like placing it in a a cis girl's skull and then raising her as as a girl um it so i it's the best we can do oh well yeah and then yeah. yeah Uh, There are tons of studies on personality and play behavior in girls versus boys and women versus men. Mm -hmm. And I don't have time to scour methods for all of them. But there are a couple traits that are pretty universally agreed on from a variety of studies and methods that show actual sex differences. Do do you want to try to guess the, the things that are consistently assigned to boys and men and ones that are consistently assigned to girls and women let me guess it's it's all very stereotypical boys do math and and physical activity and and protection and blah 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 and the girls do the domestic stuff and sew clothes and tie (laughs) other crap women are just born ready to sew clothes it's what they do well those are those are more tasks what about i'm i'm thinking more so the answer is more like personality traits like oh yeah like and as much as that yeah um let me guess boys are more aggressive girls are more passive um girls tend to be nicer yeah yeah Yeah. so the (laughs) the the thing that shows up time and time again is that boys and men tend to be more physically aggressive and dominant Girls and women are more tender-minded and interested in infants. <laughs> and I had no idea what the fuck tender-minded meant. Like, what is tender-minded? I had to go into the uh, methods and figure out how they were defining that. So I guess it's the opposite of tough-minded. Tender-minded. Really? Just really excited about chicken nuggets. Right? I'm <laughs> thinking about those chicken nugs. Yeah. Thinking about those Tender- tendies. I, I, yeah. I got those tenders on my mind. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, yes, Sorry. that is the kind of woman that I am. But the kind of women they're talking about here that are tender-minded are more intuitive, unrealistic, mm. and sensitive. Mm. While tough-minded people are more self-reliant, realistic, and no-nonsense. <sighs> so, All right. yeah. No, yep. I just, I don't, don't, why? I don't know. Um, and, and these traits are usually assessed with questionnaires. And I fucking hate questionnaires as a metric because it always makes me take the results with a grain of salt. Who exactly is filling out the questionnaire? If it's a child, it's probably their parents. If it's an adult, is it the adult giving the answers? Is it parents or friends or coworkers? Because, like, I, I think of myself as... Uh, more self-reliant realistic and no nonsense but like if you ask my girlfriend she might say oh no Alyssa's a big softy so intuitive and sensitive it's just self-reporting is not very objective I don't Mm. think of it and I I don't think there's no kind of because also if you ask my you know my parents will say something different if you ask someone in my lab they'll say something different 
Um, yeah. So I take yeah. all of the following with a grain of salt. And of course, the questionnaires aren't as simple as like, do you consider yourself to be no nonsense? But you get my point. The, the yeah. way that uh, the next study we're going to talk about, they tested physical aggression. And it was based on a questionnaire of how you would respond to various situations of interpersonal conflict. And they evaluated from there. So mm. it's not just like, do you think of yourself as physically aggressive? But it's close. It's like, how would you respond to this situation? And you're like, oh, I'd punch them. <laughs> and it's, yeah, it's still pretty obvious. So now, the exciting part, the results. Uh, so we have... Again, just to, to say what the personality traits they're looking at are, we have physically in, aggressive and dominant as the consistently male traits, tender-minded and interested in infants as the woman traits. So how did the cis women with more testosterone in their developing brains score? Uh, for aggression, the score ranged from 0 to 18. Cis men, on average, scored a 9. Cis women scored a 4.6. And the cis women with masculinized brains scored a 6.5. So there's definitely some variation there. Let me, let me also okay. give you the scores for tender-mindedness. Cis women score the highest for being tender-minded. So we have mm -hmm. cis women and then... Masculinized brain cis women score three points below cis women, and cis men score less than one point below that. So the summary, the takeaway from this is that what was the aggressiveness and oh, go ahead. Wait, wait, what was the point they scored at? Oh, so the I didn't have a the tender mindedness didn't have a range. <laughs> I didn't, yeah, I couldn't find what the range of the thing was. I actually had to dig for the aggression score. I had to, like, go back to the original paper to figure out Jesus. what the range was. But I, it, it is going to be a similar thing. So, like, mm. if the, I mean, yeah, cis women score really high. If cis men and cis women, or if cis men and masculinized brain cis women are that close together, then, uh, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, the the summary, the takeaway um, is that these things do seem to be affected by the amount of testosterone your brain gets in the womb. I do think that that is an actual biological change, but there's a larger gap between the masculinized brain cis women and the cis men in aggression. So... For, for that, I see that you, you do have the environment contributing a lot, um, but there is an effect that the testosterone has on uh, a fetus brain. But I was surprised by how close the tender-mindedness scores were. So in that one, the masculinized cis women were basically very close to the same score as cis men with mm. cis women way far away. So that, to me is stronger evidence that there are brain changes that are occurring in the womb that have a biological effect on whether you're a softie, no matter what gender you're raised as, which just seems, I mean, again, this is something that I don't want to believe. And of course, there's 
going to be variability in actual people, but I was pretty, pretty surprised by these, these findings. Mm. So with the same reasoning as the previous things, the study also found a biological effect for tendency toward caring for other humans. Cis women score highly on questions about caring for younger siblings and playing with baby dolls. Uh, cis men and masculinized brain cis women respond very similarly to one another. They care far yes, less for younger siblings or baby dolls. And again, this is despite these the the masculinized brain in these cis women they're they're still being raised as as cis women so mm-hmm. obviously environment is still playing a huge role here but it really strikes me that the brain changes caused by pre-birth testosterone result in personality differences like that's yeah. nuts you have a group of cis girls being raised as cis girls and you're somewhat controlling for the contribution of the environment to the personality, but brains that experience more testosterone in utero result in more tough-minded personalities and less tendency to care for human infants. Like, that's... Wow. That's, yeah. That seems ridiculous. And I do want to point out that, of course... The, the masculinized brain, like, it's not as simple as, you know, you just take a brain that was from a cis guy and put it in a cis girl. Um, you know, there might be other things going on from the extra testosterone, but I, I don't know. I still, I still think that there might be some effect. Um, the, and I do also want to point out that the, once they're born, the cis girls that experience more testosterone in the womb do take medication that brings their hormones to typical levels. Uh, but of course the disorder is still present, could be causing all kinds of little biological changes. Like the medication might affect something. Um, right. There is a review uh, that I'm going to put in the show notes that has more discussion about all the caveats that you should totally think about. And I totally thought about, but I, I think that even if we could perfectly control for all of this, there there might still be a difference. Um, so, of course, also, you know, studies are all averages. Uh, this is a study trying to get at a broad effect of testosterone on biology. These results do not mean that you you personally could take the same questionnaires and prove whether you're quote-unquote really male or female. One mm-hmm. wo- one woman might score identically to one man on aggression, but on average, women score lower than men on aggressive right. response. Like, I mean, I definitely know some men that I'm way more aggressive than, but it's, yeah. Because it's a yeah. study, we're looking at the average woman versus the average man, and none of us are average here. So I, before I move on to the next thing, I think another thing to say that is that this study was only looking at these traits that very consistently are different between men and women. So even if there was the most perfect study in the world where we actually did brain transplants or something, and we proved beyond a doubt that brains developing with more testosterone result in more aggressive adults. This 
would not extrapolate out to all the thousands of other things we think of as more masculine or more feminine. So mm-hmm. another important takeaway here is that personality traits are not reliably linked to gender. I think there's these few obvious things like aggressiveness and sex drive that we can pretty directly link to testosterone. But as soon mm-hmm. as we get into smaller things like math ability, uh, I think that's that's a lot more cultural. Yeah. So. But that's really interesting, though. I know. I just. Because like, <sighs> like you said, like they get put on, I assume, some sort of hormone blocker or something. Um, some sort yeah. of hormone replacement therapy at any rate. Yeah. Um, and and yet these differences still persist. That 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 is actually kind of, um, pardon the pun, mind bending to me, <laughs> because like like obviously like there's a connection between hormones and personality and thinking and those two and those things do affect each other. Obviously, right. it's not like perfect, but it, there is an effect going on. Um, like I I know that personally myself. Yeah. Um, so to find out that like in the study that that wasn't necessarily the case that's very interesting that raises more questions than it answers i'm sorry (laughs) well i think it's also it it is a question of predisposition too right Mm. so you know if you maybe your brain is more predisposed to be aggressive i i don't think that that justifies aggression like Mm. i don't think that just because even if and once again, you know, you, you have to take all this with a grain of salt. They're from questionnaires. Mm-hmm. I I think that even if your brain predisposes you to be more aggressive, you don't get a pass on being aggressive. Also, just because your brain predisposes you, I don't know, to be a nicer person, that doesn't give people without that brain an excuse to be shitty to people. Mm-hmm. So... And of course, yeah, hormones, I think, also are just like a predisposing factor. So if someone starts taking testosterone, their sex drive goes up, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they like have to or need to have more sex or whatever. Like these are all, I don't know, we're living, thinking beings just because it's a biological change doesn't mean that you get to do horrible things. So yes, of course. Uh, we are also going to talk about trans brains. Um, I know some of you this whole time are like, what's with these fucking cis people? Let's talk about brains of trans people. So that's, that's how we're going to end this. Um, I'm going to tell you right now that just like cis male and cis female brains, there is not compelling evidence that a trans person physical brain appears either like their actual gender or their gender assigned at birth. If you line up a bunch of brains on a table, they all look like brains. You can't, you can't tell, you know, cis men from cis women or whatever. Um, That's true. That is yeah. true. Yeah. So, so there's no, yeah, it's, it's back to the corpus callosum argument. You can't be like, oh, well, there's, mm-hmm. you know, thicker corpus callosum. This is clearly a woman's brain. Uh, but don't worry. We will talk about other important trans brain things. So unfortunately, there isn't this long legacy of studying the brains of trans people. Um, Hell surprise. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, there isn't compelling evidence, or sorry, most decent studies have happened in the last 20 years. And even like, oh, some of the language 
in like 2002 papers I was reading, I was like, oh my God, what was the actual intent here? Who, you know, it, it felt, uh, it felt a lot like that fucking guy that was running these studies to try to prove a really shitty point. Right. Yes. Okay. So yep. <laughs> let me get back on track here. No worries, let me no stop getting angry about the way that sometimes scientists are and the shitty things they do. Uh, referring back to our first episode on hormones, we know that gender-affirming hormone therapy causes somewhat of a second adolescence. So I looked into what science knows about adolescence and the brain in cis people. Uh, the brain is more flexible when you're young. I, I think this is also just like a general thing that people know. This, this was something that I feel like I've always known. It's still forming, your brain is still forming connections and organizing itself until you're about 20, early 20s, after which your brain becomes far less pliant. There's still, there is still some flexibility and it's, that's another developing area of research that I think is really cool. But during adolescence, parts of your brain organize themselves based on the amount of testosterone in your body. And these changes get mostly locked in by adulthood. If you start taking a hormone as an adult, these parts of your brain don't change like they would in adolescence. Because like I just said, your brain is gets sort of right. cemented in. So I want to clarify, if you're not getting it, with an example in hamsters. <laughs> because once again, there's ethics about human experiments, so we can't just do yes. this on humans. Oh. If you castrate... Did you say awe? Maybe. <laughs> I mean, you know, I just feel like we would know so many more things if we could. But there's no, like, I, I, I'm i getting off topic, but I do Sorry. think about this. Like, is there an ethical way that we could do studies on humans? And I, I've never come up with, like, a good answer. Because even if you're like, oh, well, I'll get their consent. Like, are they under some kind of pressure to consent? Like there's a whole bunch of ethical, like there are so many examples of yeah. like prison populations and whatever. Mm. Like you can't get real consent from people to do things because they might be being coerced by something else. Um, but yes, I do wish there was some magic way that we could just directly do these studies instead of on hamsters. Yes. That's okay. True. That's fair. Thank you. Thank but, you for clarifying that. Yes. Yeah. No, I don't. I don't think that. I mean, Jesus, just go fucking look at the Nazis. That's what yeah. they did. So just, just to be clear, this podcast is anti-human experimentation uh, as a rule. Anti-unethical human yeah, experimentation. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, I'm, actually, I'm all about experimentation, but no. Ethics. Yes. Ethics. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. No, we are mm -hmm. against against that. No fucking Nazis, no, no. Tuskegee shit. Like that's oh, that's God. all very, very bad. Very bad. Do not I do not condone that. I mm -hmm. am very against it. Back to hamsters. So, Back to hamsters. Right. What were we what were we talking about? Uh Sorry. oh yes, yes. Uh so if you start this this is my example of how if you start taking a hormone as an adult, you know, there are parts of your brain that don't change like they would if you had that same hormone in adolescence. So um, if you castrate a male hamster after he's born, but before puberty, the lack of testosterone during hamster adolescence 
wires his brain in such a way that it doesn't respond to testosterone in the same way, even if you inject him with it as an adult. The adolescent brain organizing that goes on is critical for how your brain responds to hormones as an adult. And I intentionally did not get too sciencey here, but it's basically like as your brain is organizing, there are certain things in your brain that will be more receptive to testosterone later on. And so if it doesn't get organized in the right way, then it's just like less affected by testosterone later on. And that's a Mm. change that just stays permanent after adolescence. So back to something I said right at the beginning, we want to know if these changes are both visible and meaningful. So they seem to be visible um, from the example of the hamster. And we've done indirect studies in humans too. Um, Mm. Not experiments, but studies. So there are these visible effects on neural circuits in various brain areas, but I couldn't find anything to really give me compelling evidence that they're meaningful in humans. So in animals, if you mess with these hormones before and during puberty, it affects things like male mounting behavior and female receptive behaviors and some other things. But with humans, it's unclear how much even the sex drive is affected and if there's Mm. any other innate changes going on. And there definitely are studies out there that are trying to like make that argument. Um, But I didn't find any that I thought, and once again, I'm, I am a filter that all of this is going through. I, I didn't see anything that really convinced me that humans are experiencing major differences for I okay let me just give an example mm-hmm. like if you take estrogen as an adult does your brain react to it differently depending on whether it was organized with or without testosterone during adolescence and i'm like maybe but how measurable are the differences are they even meaningful so <sighs> the conclusion is that There is plenty of evidence that during adolescence, sure, your brain is wired a certain way, depending on how much testosterone you have. I'm not arguing with that. But for me, there just doesn't seem to be enough evidence in humans for what those changes actually mean once you're an adult. I don't know. I'm basically trying to get ahead of the like, oh, no, because I had testosterone in my body while I was an adolescent, you know. I, you know, that part of me will always be male or whatever. And I I don't think, I don't know that there is actually a meaningful difference. Like, I think that, again, we're talking about these sort of predispositions. So maybe originally, because your brain developed with testosterone, you're maybe predisposed to be more aggressive, if that. And it doesn't extend out to any other quote unquote male qualities. So I, yeah, it's, yeah. It, it, I just don't see, I don't think that we're hamsters. And so mm-hmm. many of these studies are done in model organisms and on sort of like sketchy grounds of like, I don't know, there's some studies on like, uh, you know, rats running through mazes or whatever. And again, they try to, try to build up more stuff around it. But the only thing that I'm really buying is that it, 
uh, affects your sex drive, and that's only in some cases, and it's only a predisposition. So, mm-hmm. again, we have these examples where, like, some women will still, whether they're cis or not, will still have different sex drives than men. So it's, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so, yes, I if you, you read this and you're like, oh, I, I think that there are differences. And, of course, there are plenty uh, of studies on brain differences between men and women. But I just didn't find anything compelling on those brain differences being actually due to inherent brain organization from hormones versus brain organization that occurs from behavior and environment. Um, Mm. Studies on gender difference are hard to design and even harder to evaluate objectively. So Mm. another thing is you got to look at, like, who's running this study? What are they trying to do? And then these studies often fail to replicate and they'll have sketchy methods. They'll conflict with another study. That's another thing when I was reading reviews of these, it would be like one paragraph is like, oh, all these things. Yeah, it definitely shows this. And then the next paragraph is like, but there were these other studies. So, yeah, it's it's a replication problem. Um, It's a conflicting evidence problem. It's a who's running the study problem. I just... There, I, I don't think, and I'd love to hear from someone that, like, this is actually their field. I just didn't find anything that showed an inherent brain organization difference based on hormones. Mm. Um, but, you know, of course, there, there are things like brain activation, um, which are more easily changed throughout life. This isn't, you know, an actual physical organization. This is just, like, what parts of your brain are active at at what times. So I'm talking about studies like the one I mentioned in the beginning, where we see different areas of the brain being active in men and women when they see images of human suffering. Uh, And and we've done studies like that. Oh my God, so many studies about brain activation, including things like verbal and spatial tasks, which show a clear difference between genders. Um, But I, I hope this point you realize i'm going to say those differences are not innate Mm -hmm. they're reflecting differences in the way boys and girls are raised Mm -hmm. and the signals about gender that men and women get bombarded with so finally last thing there are these very few studies coming up very recently on trans people um Mm -hmm. that they're finally uh going like oh shit let's study their brains and let's do it in like a not shitty way that doesn't dehumanize them mm. uh, what, a, what a concept i know it's nuts like trans trans people are people they're people mm-hmm. trans people are people yep so there are studies that show trans people have scores on these things like verbal and spatial tasks that are more like their actual gender and some studies also show that trans people have scores more like their gender assigned at birth. And there are, so as of right now, it's about 75% of studies show trans people have uh, scores more like their actual gender. Um, but like the other studies, it's it's a matter of design and conflicting evidence. And I think that you also get <clears throat> sort of a, a problem of variability in when trans people come out and how confident they are in their actual gender 
and mm-hmm. what happened before them. Like, I think there's a lot more nuance in relation to gender and trans people because they're smart and they've thought about this whole fucking gender thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they, they realize that we have a lot of really bad ideas about it. Mm-hmm. So oh, yeah. <laughs> the, the conclusion is a little wishy-washy here. I think that, I mean, I do think that, you know, trans women are women, trans men are men, Thank you. but I think that you can't super pull scientific studies from that. And this goes the other way too. So, you know, with someone being like, oh, well, there's, you know, I found this one study that shows actually trans people aren't real because, you know, they took like 10 trans people and were shitty to them. And they showed that they're actually they're assigned at birth gender. And that's also nonsense. Um, I don't think that science is necessarily I don't think it is as objective as a lot of people think, especially when it comes to cases like this. Right. And I do think that, like I've been saying this whole time, like there are inherent differences in brain activity between men and women. And so my, my, I guess, hypothesis or intuition is that trans women who have been living as women for a long time, they're like, yep, this is who I fucking am, will have brains that show activity very similar to cis women, like, because this is all cultural, it's all environmental. But it's, it's, again, not something that we could really use to, quote, unquote, diagnose people, like, you could run studies on, there would be some cis women that appear to look more like cis men, like, it's, it's back to that, like, one on one thing, this is an averages. Right, right. So basically, the biology is super complex. There are a kajillion things going on at all times. And when you add in the complexity of the environment, there are just way too many factors to say something as simplistic as if you have this much testosterone at this time, you'll be good at math. Or if you have this much testosterone, you are this gender. Like, that's not how biology works, people. It's it's mm. a big, complicated, ridiculous story. And that's my conclusion. I'm, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> I think that I think that's a good conclusion. Yeah. I've I've got so many questions now. Um, oh, okay, well, no, ask <clears throat> a few of them. That's, that's um. I guess I guess my biggest one is that. So you mentioned that you, at least you suspect that if the study was run on someone, the study about like what sectors of the brain light up and blah 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 was done yeah. on someone who was trans and had lived as their gender, their actual gender for long enough that the patterns would reflect cis people more am i am i uh, did yeah, i did yeah, i did yeah, i that, okay cool yep so my i guess my biggest question here is is that because possibly they're because the brain does have some plasticity after like you know the cutoff age right uh, as yes. you mentioned there's still yeah. some is that do you think possibly because the brain reforging pathways and stuff like that Yes, that is the, yeah, that is what I was trying to get at. Um, I I could have been more clear, but yes, no, I think that things that have to do with brain activity are, is that plasticity and that learning that's going on through life. So anytime I was talking about like your physical brain, the brain that you would see on a table, that, that is what I call innate or inherent. Okay. Um, and then the brain activity stuff is stuff that changes throughout your life and 
is way more influenced by your environment and your culture. It's way more uh, nature than an inherent genetic biological difference. Okay. Okay, cool. Yeah. Right, so, well, that, I mean, that, that was my big one. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I, th- and that's, that's the reason why I think that because even, yeah, it, it depends on what you were raised as and what sort of signals you were getting at that time. But then, yeah, I think that because I know that trans women are women, I think that they have the same ways of looking at things as as women do. So, for example, showing more compassion for human suffering than I would expect the average guy um, to to do. And so this is all, oh my God, this is so me just guessing at it. But yes, I do think that the brain activity, but then of course, also, I want to to say that I think there's probably some cis men that would show the same brain activity. And they're probably cis men that people would go like, oh, he's so sensitive, you know, whatever. But I think mm-hmm. that all of these things are just based on what we expect a gender to be. And then the people of that gender conforming to these things. So, okay. mm-hmm. yeah. 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 Okay. That makes sense. <laughs> Okay, so um, that's it. You you don't want to ask me any more questions on air. You're gonna <laughs> wait. Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay. As well, ever. that is that. I hope you enjoyed the episode and uh, contact us if you want. Our emails in the show notes. I have a bunch of sources and further reading in the show notes. Check that out if you want to, and we'll see you next episode. See you next time.